Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who always turn the other cheek when cleaning up tenants. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's show number 482 for August 26, 2020. On today's show, we're doing a little bit of a Q&A show, a little bit of a cleaning out of the inbox. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. Head over to rockler.com and check out their customer favorite sale, which includes many of their most popular tools, innovations, and accessories. The sale runs from July 31st to August 27th, so do not miss it. And if you would like to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. This week, we'd like to thank no one. (laughs) (laughs) We're the worst. Nobody loves us. Nobody knew. (laughs) That's, That's the problem with our little game here. We have to like continuously add new people who love us to the pot. You know what I think we should do in sort of like real YouTuber, Instagrammer, fake it till you make it style. We should just make up names. <laughs> You'll never know. All these people keep signing up. I should totally get in on We're this. We're so popular. Like, I, I think that would be good. Let's let's do that for next time. If nobody, okay. if nobody signs make up. up. Make up some names. Yeah. <laughs> just the, say, our family, just random if people. If phone books were still a thing, you open to a random page and plunk a finger yeah. down. That's what I'm thinking. Right. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do sometimes, guys. In the spirit of election season, let's make up some names. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good stuff. All right, so we're going to get straight into the emails here. Um, You know, we don't often get to our emails on every single show, so it's something that we'd like to do. Uh, I think we're going to try to do like every third show is going to be a Q&A show because uh, we we like to hear from you guys and uh, help you when we can, and hopefully not months after you needed the help. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so Christian wrote in, and he says, basically, all professional woodworkers and also some hobbyists in Germany, uh, he's in Germany, Uh, are using a sliding table saw. For U.S.-based woodworkers, this seems rather uncommon, at least uh, on YouTube. 
Do you have any experience with or thoughts about European style sliding table saws, like from uh, Felder versus standard table saws? I'm not talking about the sliding table that you can add to a saw stop. European style sliding tables are sliding next to the blade. Uh, Greetings from Germany, Christian. Okay, so I don't have a lot of personal experience. I've I've used these at a couple people's shops, right? So um, I think the first one I had a little bit of experience with was at William Ng's shop. He doesn't often use it for his classes, but it's like one of the four table saws that he has in his power tool room. Uh, I was intrigued by the concept of how that table slides and how you're not really standing kind of behind the fence uh, on on the front of the saw. You're sort of standing on the side of the saw and and directing traffic that way. Um, (laughs) This is one of those things almost like shapers. Okay, like in the U.S., If you go to an industrial level or you go to pro shops, that's when you're more likely to see things like shapers. You're likely to see European sliders. Um, I think what you have to look at with the U.S. market is the fact that we are dominated by hobbyists and hobbyists come at this from a little bit of a different perspective. So just as a shaper, while it's super powerful and it's really good at what it does, it's not as versatile. I can't necessarily just take that out and use the motor handheld. Uh, You can't, (laughs) at least I wouldn't recommend it. You could try it, uh, you know, but on a router table, you can actually take that router out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hold my beer. Uh, how do you say hold my beer in German? Um, so you take you, you could take that router out. You could do other things with it. The router table itself takes all the standard router bits that we use with our handheld routers. So, you know, it's got complete crossover with, with the, with the bit usage and um, you can still do some heavy duty tasks. It's not going to be as strong or as, as good as a shaper in that regard, if you're making a bunch of raised panels, but it can still do the job. Uh, so, you know, that's a, that's what the hobbyist market wants. We want things that fit into a smaller space that are more versatile. And I think the entry price point feels lower because a lot of times you already have the router. So now you just need to get that table or that lift and we kind of build the system as we go. So that's with router tables, but I think that similar thing with table saws, the initial investment for a slider is going to be pretty dang expensive, you know, compared to, a contractor saw or a, you know, um, what do you call it? A job site saw. Uh, these are the things that we in the U S a lot of people start with. So to jump from a contractor to a cabinet saw, that's like, okay, now I'm serious about this. That's something that I think we could fathom jumping from a contractor saw to a Euro slider. It's a, that's a bigger leap. That's a much bigger leap. It's a physically larger tool, much more expensive, takes larger blades and has different limitations. Um, the European sliders, it's not as easy to throw a dado stack on there. Uh, and of, of course, every model is a little bit different. But generally speaking, any cabinet saw in the U.S. will take a dado stack, right? But you're, you're going to have more. It's going to be more complicated if you go to a European style slider. So, I mean, these things exist. People in the U.S. do have them. Daryl has one. William has one. Uh, Philip Morley has one. But at the same time, they don't always use that saw. They also generally have other table saws. All three of those examples have other table saws that they're using for other things. So I find that kind of interesting that like if I had a European slider and maybe it's just because my shop's not that big, that would be the only table saw in my shop. Like I wouldn't have room for others, but every, every person (laughs) that I personally know with one also has a standard cabinet saw in their shop. Interesting. What's up with that? Easier to do joinery cuts right the other one's set up with like a dado blade all the time or something uh, i mean yeah maybe it's a sheet goods thing you know like the sliders excel at at cutting big pieces of stock you got a nice big work surface there 
and uh, and we do a lot of joinery on our table saws. So yeah, maybe that's maybe that's, that's it. That's Matt. where I see those sliders used more as like as like more like a big panel saw mm-hmm. for actually sheet goods, breaking them down instead of you like like what we would do. Oh, can we get my circuit saw, my track saw, and yeah. cut this piece of wood on the floor for a bit into smaller pieces, and then maybe I'll put it on my table saw. Yeah, nope. versus a slider. You're like put the whole sheet up there, set it through. It is. Go. It is funny though when you look at the different markets and you see how many things you, from their perspective. It's like, well, I have this European saw that can do this stuff, and in the U.S., it's like, well, I got a track saw, I got, <laughs> I got a table saw, I got crosscut sleds. Like I'm doing all these things that this one tool can do. But I just think it's the nature of the beast and the way that people get into woodworking over here. Yeah, I don't. Know. I got, I got nothing good to add to that. It's okay. That's fine. I thought I ever, never would. <laughs> True. You're so good at covering all the bases. Hey, hey, hey. don't uh, don't put yourself down, man. You are a big contributor to this to the production of this show. Two shows in a row. I had no names to read. <laughs> I know your one job. You, you had one job to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all good. We still love you, though. Yeah. Maybe I'll support the show. I can butcher my own name. Mm-hmm. So Jeremy wrote in. He says, I purchased a, a four jaw lathe chuck a few months back. I've used it a few times here and there, but almost every time I use it, I drop it. Usually it's when I'm taking it off the headstock. I keep turning it, not knowing exactly uh, when it will finally come <laughs> off the threads. Then it does. Usually when I'm not expecting it to, or I either drop it on the bed of the lathe or I smash my fingers trying to catchy it. I, I think it's supposed to say catch it, but I kind of like it. Catchy it. Just recently, I had it fall off the lathe while I was turning. I guess I hadn't tightened enough. And when I started the lathe, the speed was too high. So I turned it down and I guess the lathe slowed down faster than the chuck did. I turned the lathe off when the chuck started to rattle and it basically just walked right off onto the floor. Oh, no. So um, do you have any experience dropping lathe chucks and any tips for me? Um, I can't say that I've actually dropped one, but I know exactly what he's talking about when you can't quite tell when it's going to come off. So what I've always done is I don't turn the chuck. I turn the spindle of the lathe. Um, Certainly, I'm I'm sure there are lathes out there that don't have the spindle handle on the outboard side of the headstock. But what I'm doing is I grasp the chuck firmly and and don't turn that and then manually turn the spindle, reverse threading it till the chuck just comes off. So you've got a firm grip on the chuck the whole time um, instead of because because he's right. Those chucks are quite massive. And if you spin it, they actually build up some momentum and will just roll right off the end of the chuck. Or if the chuck is slightly loose as you turn off the lathe and the lathe is slowing down, the chuck will just keep on spinning and it will walk right off and fall. So you um, first things, if you're taking it off, move the spindle, not the chuck. Second thing, if your chuck does not have an arbor lock, you might want to think about getting one. Um, most of the chucks now have Allen's um, an Allen key or Allen screw, rather uh, one or two of them back on the arbor itself. So you screw it onto the headstock and then you tighten that Allen key down and it actually locks it to the chuck in place. Um, if you're, if you're just look, you may not, maybe it was there and maybe it's not. I, I had a, an initial chuck, the one that came with my jet lathe, like the introductory deal or whatever comes with the chuck. It did not have an arbor lock to it, but check and see if you have one because that will stop that coming off because that stuff is scary if it starts coming off, especially if you've got a workpiece in there, there's all kinds of nasty things that can happen. But if your chuck does not have that arbor lock, one thing that you can do and actually, our sponsor, Rockler, has one of these. Hey. Well, frankly, anybody has one of these. I'm just saying, 
go to Rockler. Um, they sell uh, nylon washers. And actually, I found that a lot of the nicer manufactured chucks actually come with one of these things. You might have been wondering, what is this yellow washer or this white washer? That, what am I supposed to do with this? You put that onto the spindle and then you thread the chuck over top of it. And it's kind of acting in a couple of reasons. First, kind of like a lock washer because the vinyl has um, it's it's. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Soft in the fact that it will compress as you tighten that down. And then what it does as it compresses, it's now pushing back and it's acting like a lock washer. So it's it's putting lateral force on the threads that will prevent it from coming loose while it's turning. The other nice thing is because it is compressive, it prevents the chuck from actually sticking. And I, I know personally, I ran into a couple of situations where I really had a hard time actually breaking the chuck loose. It was so tight on the spindle that... Um, I hello. Yeah. Okay. Everything just dropped out on me here. Oh. <laughs> I was wondering if I'd lost my connection. <laughs> it was like, anybody? Hi. Hello? <laughs> Is there anybody out there? Yeah, it was just weird. I heard, a, I, I heard a click in my headphones yeah. and everything went dead. I, I think the like, LSD okay. just kicked in. I guess so. So anyway. <laughs> How did I get here? How did I get her? What is my name? I just woke up. Sorry about that. So yeah, <laughs> that little vinyl washer also will help you kind of break loose the, the chuck. And I found this situation where I was almost afraid to tighten it too much because I would run in the situation where I couldn't get it off the spindle again. So I would, you know, by not tightening it down enough, then it actually comes loose while turning it. That little vinyl washer will give you that peace of mind that you can really crank down on it and provides that pushback to lock it in place, but also makes it easier to, to break it loose and pull it off. So simple little vinyl washer, and I'll actually include a link to in the show notes. You'll go to Rockler and buy that. You won't have enough to qualify for free shipping. So you'll end up buying three and four more other things and you'll make our sponsor happy. You'll buy some T-Track. There you go. <laughs> We heard on the last show how else? good it is. All of it. Some bandy One clips. of each. Epic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just moved. This next one here is from Ishan. He says, I recently finished a bookshelf made out of plain sawn white oak. I sanded to 180 and then finished with general finishes armor seal. Overall, it went smooth, but there were a few parts with, uh, were, well, yeah, with strong cathedral patterns where the board alternates between edge and end grain. Uh, on those boards, even after applying five coats and sanding in between, the end grain parts were still thirsty on edge and oh, sorry. The, wow. The end grain parts were still thirsty and on edge grain, the finish was building up to a thick layer. What can I do to avoid the situation in the future? Should I sand to a finer grade? Should I seal with something like shellac before applying the finish? Should I put a layer of oil like thong oil? Oh, wait, never mind. Whoa. Uh, tongue oil. Hey, anyways. <laughs> Thanks for the help. Uh, <laughs> that sounds gross. If you oiled the thong, that would do. Hey, oh. Well, hold on. Is this thong oil that is naturally on the thong or you apply it to the thong? Because <laughs> that could make a difference in whether or not I'm going to use the stuff. I think, yeah. uh, I think you're reading into this too much now. That's what I do. That's your risk of skin, skin reactions if it were a joke guy. Thong. Okay. I let it die. I can't, help it. I can't help it. It's the first time we said thong on the show in like over 10 years. I was like, I don't really? believe that. I'm excited. See, I, I can't believe that. We must have said it. Well, we probably talked about Vanderlist wearing thongs. I was going to say, that's one of Vanderlist's favorite words. It, well, it's one of his favorite garments as well. Banana hammock. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Actually, okay. I think that was a show title. 
actually, Pretty sure yeah. we have a show titled Banana. Yeah, Hammock. it probably was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Way back in the archive. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it's possible that... You, it depend, I'm going to say, like, you need to, like, understand, like, where your expectations lie with finishing an open green wood. Like, if you're trying to get, like, a, like a glass finish on Episode that... Episode 150, by the way. Is it really? <laughs> nice job. Sorry. Couldn't let it guy. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Definitely link out to that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, so if you're trying to get a, an actual like glass smooth surface on an open grain wood, you're not going to get it that easily. So if you're not going to do any pore filling, mm-hmm. if you're trying to get more of a woody look, I would expect to be able to still see the uh, the pores in the grain lines in the wood after five coats of a varnish like this. Um, if you want to get a little closer, you can do a more aggressive staining between coats to knock back all the high spots and basically allow you to fill in the grooves between all the, uh, you know, the, the higher areas. And that should help to at least make it less noticeable that there are undulations in the finish like that. Uh, I'm not sure, like, staining to a finer grit, you would, in theory, burnish the wood a little more. And in theory, you should have less of this, but I'm not sure how far they really go on something like oak. Um, so there's that, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about expectations. Like, what are you really looking for? And then go from there, I guess. Well, I wouldn't do the oil thing that he's talking about. I think that's going to just complicate things. Um, that's not really going to add a whole lot to making it less. No, porous and I think he's really worried looking. about that end grain, right? So you, you let that end grain soak up all that oil and it's going to go inside there and probably isn't going to cure because it's got yeah, raw it's oil on top of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. For something like this, I would actually hit like he's doing this armor seal. If you treat the end grain the same way you treat the face or the edge grain on this piece, um, it's going to quickly suck it up and immediately look dry. So when I'm using something like armor seal, I will go back over the course of finishing the whole piece. I will hit that end multiple times. I want it to actually get a little extra. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want it to just get the same thin five coats because it's not equivalent. So I will make sure that as I'm finishing the top of this piece, I'll go back to that side and take my rag, do another swipe and then go back to finishing the top, then do another swipe, keep giving it a little bit more so that it actually is getting more finish and sealing, um, you know, proportionately the same as the rest of the piece. Okay. Uh, next one here is from Elliot. It's actually a voicemail, but he did say along with his voicemail, please tell Matt to lose the 19th century mustache. This is a little bit old. Uh, unless, (laughs) unless he's doing some sort of rebranding like Matt, the steampunk woodworker, but I think that has potential. I I think you you could go somewhere with that. That was one of my favorite little things I did in a long time. I think if you give yourself like just little round beady kind of glasses you have that mustache. <laughs> you put yourself in some kind of leather and cotton garb. I think you could make a great steampunk character. You know what's the best part about that that the whole mustache situation what's that? is it's been it's been off for like a month already, but I'm just now going back and finalizing the videos for the <laughs> vanity build yeah. and the guild. So I'm like, it's still watch there. those first ones. I'm like, oh my god, I forgot how ridiculous this looks. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic. Like first, so yeah, the first videos in the vanity build have me like full on mustache. Yeah. Going to work on this walnut. It's a me. It's a me. A Cremona. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get to Elliot's voicemail. Hi, this is Elliot in Northern Illinois. I'm wondering what you guys think about outfeed tables. 
Traditionally, outfeed tables are at the same height as the surface of your table saw, but I'm seeing more and more, like on YouTube, that folks are having these outfeed tables be lower than the surface of the table saw so that when you cut something off, it just sort of plops down and then gets out of your way. So if you're building a new outfeed table, what are the pros and cons of each? So love the show. Thank God for not knitting. Bye-bye. Thanks, Elliot. I'm going to be very bullish on this. I can't see any good logical reason for an outfeed table to have a drop in it. Uh, A drop bigger than like an eighth of an inch. The point of an outfeed table is to fully support the work through the cut before, you know, before the cut's complete, after the cut's complete. I can't think of any reason. Can you guys? So you don't have to put slots in it for your runners? Your sleds. Okay, there's one reason. Hashtag but, but I mean, that's not like a real, <laughs> not a good reason, but it's a reason. <laughs> that's, that's literally all, all I have. Yeah, you're right. So you, if you have sleds or you know miter gauges, you've got to take the slots, the three quarter inch slots in your table saw, and extend those into the outfeed table. Maybe they don't like the way that looks. And in theory, if you have, if you move your stuff around, you got to line them back up every time. Yeah. Okay. I guess. So that's that's the only place my mind goes. Otherwise, it seems. Kind of silly. Do you know what? That's that's actually more than I expected. <laughs> like, that's a, that's. I can almost accept those as answers for, from me yeah. or from like just from the, effort, the from reality of the situation from the world, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> my expectations are low these days, but no, that's See, a pretty I, good reason. I that, spent. I mean, it had to have been. I don't know, many many years working with the table saw before I you know went the hand tool route. I never had an outfeed table, and I just never really. I, I don't know. I mean, I understand the reasons behind it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know. I guess I, I never ran into a situation where I was working with such a long piece that I had fear of it falling off the back, you know, and binding it's, the blade or something like, like that. Falling off. Like when you're done with the cut, like you got to hold on to it. Otherwise you throw it on the floor. Yeah. And a lot of times after the cut, you got a push stick, you're kicking it through to just get it, yeah. get it away from the blade. It's nice to have a little bit of runway for that. Mm, could be. I mean, or is just, Never had one, so never really saw the need. I yeah. imagine if I had one, I'd be like, oh, okay. No, I With could tell you. I spent before I built the alpha table on my saw now, bef- between like when I got rid of the ridges saw and got the saw stop, I had that period where I didn't have an alpha table. And then I built the alpha table again. I'm like, oh my God, this is so much better. It sucks. Like, I'm it not, sucks without I'm not it. throwing stuff on the floor anymore. And like, I don't have to like awkwardly hold a board while it's hanging off the back with saw while I turn off the saw yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, this is safer and a lot more like not annoying yeah so <laughs> if if it's not so much a safety thing you know like worry about you know the cantilevered weight dropping and you know tweaking something in the blade why not make it a little bit lower no but it is i, I think okay, it is so a safety that's, thing. that's what i that's what i was confused about because uh, to me that seems like the number one reason to have it is so that it doesn't pinch the blade well it's only going to drop an inch you know like what, right. what, the, what he's saying that he's seeing is it's just low enough so it's not a problem for the miter slots and it still will support a long work piece. Obviously if it's a six foot long work piece, that little inch over the, the course of that cut is not going to make a huge difference. Um, but to me, if you're going to make an outfeed table, unless the, the what, what we described here sounds like it's, well, it's going to be a real big problem making those slots. If that sounds like a big problem, <laughs> hashtag lazy. Yeah. But the, but here I, I have one use case where um, having it the same level would be useful. And that is to 
to keep the workpiece fully supported through the cut, like on a bevel cut. Because mm -hmm. if that board raises it all off the actual reference surface of the table saw, your bevel is going to be like curved yeah, or a different angle or something. Yeah. I, I'm just saying if you're going through the trouble of making one, figure it out. Like get it, get it to be <laughs> figure, get it to be the same height. It's oh God. E so like while I'm <laughs> saying the best I, advice, just, just figure you know, it out. Just figure it out. All right. While, Don't bother me with this. Just figure it out. <laughs> while there are certainly use cases where that little drop is not going to be a huge impact it's it's like going halfway there. I don't understand why you would even want to intentionally do that just to save having to cut a couple of miter slots. Um, it just makes no sense to me. So yeah, I think an outfeed table, if you can get it dead even, fine. But generally speaking, the gap, I mean, depending on how you build it, you can close that gap. But usually there's a gap between the end of the table saw and where you're able to start the outfeed table. That sometimes can be enough of a gap that if the table, the outfeed table is exactly the same height, you might actually catch on it on some pieces. Yeah. Uh, so you want to, you do want to make sure it is a little bit lower or you have like a beveled edge on that front so that whatever workpiece hits it will just kind of ride right back up to level. Um, but I just cannot get behind keeping it lower for those reasons that we've uncovered. If I'm, if there's other reasons you guys can think of and, and you know, maybe you're moving the table around a lot. Is there any reason why the slots that you do cut for the miter, um, miter gauge, that's yeah. the word I was looking for, geez, um, they don't have to be precisely the same, right? I mean, it's no, not like- clearance. No, they're clearance. Right. It's just so clearance. If, if lining it up is a problem, make that slot like an inch wider mm -hmm. so that, you know, there's really not going to be any issue. Because to me, if I were going to have an outfeed table, I'd want it on wheels so that I could multi-purpose, use it for something else, you know, roll mm -hmm. it over and use it as a work table somewhere else. So if it's really such a major problem to line up the slots, then make the slot like half inch, one inch wider. And, you know, you're, you're a woodworker, come up with some sort of fancy reference thing. You know, if I slide it up against this fence, it's all lined up and you're good like to go. A pencil line? Yeah. <laughs> That's fancy right there. <laughs> a piece of blue tape. I mean, I guess the part of the other thing is like maybe your table saw is on an unlevel floor like mine and it's not level. So then you're building something. Typically, we, we do try to build things that are level. Uh, so you do have to build an outfeed table a little bit shorter and then use some kind of leveling feet. At least that's that's what I did at my shop uh, to get it to maybe not necessarily be level, but to be coplanar with the top of the table saw. Right. So I, I, mean, I think there's I would do work. that anyway, um, yeah. just because, you know, well, Mark, you saw it foundations settle oh <laughs> you know, boy do it's, they. It's, it's level one week but it may not be six months from now because yeah. things change so yeah anything that i needed to be level i always planned on making it level with like um screw adjustable feet and stuff right okay that's hmm. it I good that's all i have to say all right well owen <laughs> wrote in <laughs> owen said when adjusting a shoulder with a shoulder plane how do you keep from taking your project out of square i'm thinking about when you adjust the shoulder you are changing the shoulder to shoulder length along the piece so first thing here owen you're not taking huge amounts off um if that's the case i would probably use something other than a shoulder plane like a saw like if you have a quarter of inch material removed from a shoulder what the heck like <laughs> <laughs> what you doing you might want to go back to the table saw and take more of that off because it's yeah the, the shoulder plane is is 
really refinement. And more often than not, a lot of times what the shoulder plane is doing is truing up the angle of the shoulder and not so much, you know, lowering the shoulder. A lot of times maybe it'll be angled in, beveled in. So it's slanting down towards the tenon or maybe slanting away from the tenon. Or sometimes it's not perfectly straight and you need to, to straighten that out. Um, if that's the case, then you might be taking a little bit more off, but really the shoulder plane does not do well if it's set to take a heavy cut. Um, when I, when I use shoulder planes, we're talking thousands of an inch, maybe two thousands of an inch thick shavings. So if I take two, three passes to true up a shoulder on a tenon, maybe at most I've removed six thousands of an inch from that shoulder to shoulder length. Is that going to make a difference in my project? If it's a three inch by three inch box, maybe, um, but your typical piece of furniture that say is, you know, 12 inches across or 24 inches across, I really don't think that's going to make a big enough difference that you're going to see it moved out of square. But say it does say you have a, a, a better, uh, you're a better person than me. <laughs> you have a much, a much tighter tolerance in your shop than I do. Then if you do that, well, it's not square. Like if you just had one, say, rail and you, you shorten the shoulder to shoulder length, you got to have a second one, right? If you're making a square or a parallelogram or something, there is a second part there that determines if it's square. So if you have shortened the first part and it's now out of square, you shorten the next part so that it's now equal and it pulls the project back into square. And you may be thinking, yes, but now I've shortened the entire, you know, overall dimension of my piece again. Is anybody going to know <laughs> if it's six thousandths or heck one inch smaller than it was supposed to be than the plans say? So that's that's the thing. Yes, it could happen where maybe you pull out a square. But the beauty of it is, is there's always another piece to to then shorten. Um, what you don't want to do is get carried away and you suddenly you find yourself a quarter inch short because you're just playing it away because look at the fun, pretty shavings I'm making. <laughs> so. With that, um, I will always, I will, I will create a piece and I kind of, I get it all, all the joinery cut and everything refined and fitting in the joints. And I use that as kind of the master, the template for everything else. And I make sure that all my other pieces match that particular piece. So if you know that you have troubles getting shoulders, you know, perfectly square or whatever, then you, you purposely cut away from the line a little bit. And then you use your shoulder plane to sneak up on that line, comparing it against that, that master part, that template part or make yourself a story stick or make yourself a pinch stick that you can use to capture that shoulder to shoulder measurement and make sure that it matches in every piece you do. And if you go inside that, then you recognize I have to now change the pinch stick measurement in order to make everything square. In which case Rockler has a story <laughs> stick kit. <laughs> I, I say this because I, I have some pinch sticks that I made in my shop and I use them all the time. I've got three or actually five of them now and I'll set them up throughout a project and they stay set for one particular dimension. And I'm constantly checking all my parts against it, but, um, they're, you know, just made out of random things like about floating around the shop. If you use a fancy story stick kit, like you can get at Rockler, you might use it more. What's uh tell, tell me about the story stick kit. What is this thing? It's, um, it's a series of fancy blue trammel, um, you know, fancy Rockler blue, Trammel points with okay. uh, little uh, knurled knobs oh, that attach down. So you supply the wood. I did not know they had these. <clears throat> Me either. And yeah. look at that. It works with their T-Track. Absolutely. Oh my God, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> this stuff is yeah, good. On awesome. every, it's good on everything. You can put it on I, toast. I went to Home Depot and I bought some aluminum channel, like hollow channel. And I bought yeah. a knurled knob and I 
tapped it. Oh, and this is great. I ran, in my case, I've got some, some teak running through mine because why not? Um, <laughs> this, is, this is fancy Rockler blue and it's a little bit more uh, durably made than the aluminum channel that I used. Well, this, but, is, yeah. this is neat. Okay. Oh, look at this. Good it's stuff. like fences too. So if you like stops for a fence on a router <laughs> yeah, table yeah, this or is... a mortise or what? This is great. No idea Ow. this existed. There you go. Hot. Dang See, it. Owen, look what you've done, Owen. Good for you. <laughs> Good job, Owen. Oh, these are, that, 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 this would be handy. All right, stop shopping and answer questions, Matt. Oh, I'm busy shopping, all right? I'm shopping. <laughs> all right, come back to me. I'm shopping. Oh, hold on. So, uh, so Megan, if you're listening. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, these story sticks look kind of cool. I, I don't know. Oh, you, you know, if, if you got a few extra hanging around. I mean, it worked for the bandy clamps. They showed up, so uh, I thought I might mention something about it. You know, see what You're probably getting like 50 of them. <laughs> Emphasis <laughs> on the few do. extra. Here's a gross. <laughs> okay. Although I got to tell you, just while we're recording this, I found a useful uh, adaptation for the bandy clamp that, that holds power cables to my tripod legs. Ooh, it works really yeah. well. Nice. Oh, yeah, that'll work. Good idea. Dang. I got to get one over here for my mic cord. Anyway. Uh... The heck where are we at here in the notes uh cedar tree yeah i'm looking for there we go okay so this is from brad it says i had a big cedar tree cut down over the winter i cut it into boards on my sawmill mostly four quarter and eight quarter i plan to build some outdoor furniture with it adirondack chairs maybe a couple little end tables and a porch swing mostly to sell my question is should i let it dry fully just the same as i would for indoor pieces or can i work it wet since it's going to be out in the weather anyhow I live in Northwest Pennsylvania, so nice summers, but crappy winters. Insert funny closing. Thanks for quilting and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that's good. I like mm -hmm. that. Thank you, Brad. Uh, so with cedar is kind of an interesting thing with it is it dries pretty quickly. And if you're going to compare it to like the cedar you buy at the home center, Mark, how wet was that stuff you bought? Super wet, Matt. So basically, uh, I think most people that are buying cedar and working them into these projects are probably buying a super wood anyway, and it's not as big of a deal. But I would definitely recommend letting it dry for a while, just like Mark did. Mark, how long did you let this stuff sit around for in the shop to dry for? Not very long, Matt. Not very long, indeed. So <laughs> judging by when you cut this and how old this question is, I would say this stuff's already good to go where you're at, especially for outdoor furniture projects. So uh, have at it. And enjoy yourself. Uh, have a good time. <laughs> good deal. Okay, that was a quick one. Uh, okay, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, Kyle wrote in. He says, since those... Why am I doing a question already? Oh, I'm, I got the last one. Quick show today. <clears throat> okay, Kyle says, since those of us with day jobs, those of us still lucky enough, uh, and kids find shop time at a premium, what would you consider the most time efficient and strong enough joinery for most projects? This is a very compelling question. Hmm. So I think hmm. when you go to quick joinery, quick joinery methods, there's a wide range. There's a wide range of really in prices is what it comes down to. Some might be a little stronger than others. Some might be like a lot stronger than others. Most of them are strong enough, right? So the question is, where are you in that budget hierarchy? Do you have the budget for a domino? Because I'm going to tell you to get a domino. If you don't, <laughs> If you don't, then I'm going to tell you to look at other things. There's beadlock. Uh, that's a, a, a Rockler product. You can find that one, which just requires the beadlock dealy whacker. Uh, you can buy the pre-made beadlock tenons and you need a drill. So it doesn't get much simpler than that. 
how about doweling jigs? Simple doweling jigs. You could buy dowels anywhere, um, and all you need is a drill to operate that. Uh, anywhere? The grocery store? Next to the produce? Uh, mine has them, yeah. Ah, right, never mind. I, I don't know what, what yours is store. like, but... <laughs> Jeez. Um, just you gotta get the organic ones. They ta- ah, usually yes. taste a little better. Uh, and then, of course, you have <laughs> Craig Jig, right? Uh, pocket screws. Uh, regardless of how much people like to, you know, criticize them and, and say that it's not real joinery, uh, who cares if you're looking for a quick way to get projects together? Uh, your time in the shop is at a premium. Uh, Craig pocket holes are fantastic or any brand pocket holes or pocket jigs uh, can be great. So I think it just, you know, look at all these options, see which one appeals to you the most and and go for it. I think they're they're all they're all serviceable. You know what I mean? Like, I would not love a project that I made completely out of pocket screws, but that's just a personal hang up of mine. That doesn't mean that this project is just going to fall apart when someone touches it. It's going to be well built. It'll be fine. Uh, so I think look into a bunch of those options. You'll find something you like that fits within your price range. If you guys had to drop everything and you had to go for one of these quick joinery solutions, let's take the domino out of the running because it is so expensive. No, so li- that was my <laughs> no, answer. No, don't. Uh, my time is valuable in the shop. I know. Is the whole point of this question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he also has kids. Kids are expensive. He might not have the funds uh, to justify a domino. If you had to choose between dowels, beadlock, pocket holes, I'm, I'm, I'm debating whether we should throw just purely handmade because that's like like Shannon style is going to potentially take longer, right? He's looking for something quick is the bottom yeah. line. I think Shannon style is off the table. So screws. Quick. I don't know. The way I do it, it's pretty quick. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I see. Fine. You got some slop in there too. So easy. Hey, easy. Blue tape's for. <laughs> Wrap the tenon in blue We've tape. We heard about it's your fine. tricks with uh, veneer gluing back on that tenon. We understand yeah, what you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, so beadlock, dowels, screws. Well, which of the three would you pick? Mm. Right, let's throw biscuits Pocket in there screws. too. Biscuits is an option too. Oh, yeah. Hmm. The the issue I have with dowels and beadlock is you lose the like the lateral slap alignment kind of thing. Uh-huh. So you got to be like right on all the time with that stuff, which maybe is fine. I like the idea of the beadlock, but I still like the idea of being able to move things around and shifting things left to right a little bit sure. before committing. Uh, so if I had to choose, I would probably do like the hard way loose mortise and tenon with a router. That wasn't one of your options. I know that, but hmm. I think no, if we're going to throw I, Shannon's out, we got to throw that out too. Yeah, but there, there is some of that. There is some of that um, wiggle room, if you will, with a pocket screw. Because really, when you yes. drill, all you're doing is drilling. But the, I, I think the f- they're butt ugly. So well, sure, it takes off the table for me. Mm-hmm. But you have to embrace it by using the walnut like plugs. That's right. You have to <laughs> accentuate your slots, your holes. Now, since you since you said biscuits, I'm going biscuits. I I built a lot of stuff using a biscuit joiner in my day. Biscuits and, are uh, going to be hard to beat for that point and shoot. Yeah, quick. Yeah, assembly. I mean it's essentially a domino, just shallow, shallower, yeah. <laughs> a flat one, cheaper and shallower. It's an interesting question. Well, good luck with that, Kyle. Uh, you got a lot of options. <laughs> And a range of prices, but good luck. Hopefully that didn't help at all. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we do here. That's just the service we provide. 
Yeah, so that just about does it for us. Remember that we are proudly sponsored by our friends at Rockler. Rockler is a family-owned business since 1954. They're your go-to source for high-quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $39. Right on. And folks, we talk about sending in your questions and we often don't ever read them, but that's what this show is about. <laughs> and, you know, if, if, if we can actually get a little serious, we had a, a discussion and said we didn't want to lose that element of the show. We really like answering questions. We really like the audience participating and feeling like they can ask us and get help with the questions and have it not be nine, ten months later mm-hmm. when the question comes in. So we are going to make a concerted effort to include this Q&A show in our kind of monthly roundup, kind of see how it goes. So please send in your questions because if we don't get the questions, then what's the point of doing a QA show? But it's important that that we kind of convey that, that this is important to us. We want to continue to make sure that we are providing some service other than just slapstick comedy. We just are making ourselves answering laugh. some <laughs> questions every now and then. So um, yeah. if anybody who's been maybe discouraged and thought, I'm not going to send in a question because they never read them. We're trying. Doing our best. <laughs> the best Doing our best can say. So please go to woodtalkshow.com, fill out the form to submit a question there, or record a voice memo and email it to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up uh, on uh, Instagram. You can submit questions there. We're at woodtalkshow. Now, for your social call to action, I actually like this last question. I do find it compelling. So what would you choose if you had to do that quick, easy, efficient version of joinery what have you chosen i should say and uh, send us a picture of a project you built with it and why did you choose that particular method of joinery and if we forgot one throw it in there let us know let us know well very cool hashtag wood talk 482 that's it all right well thank you for listening everybody and we will catch you next time see you bye toodaloo Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.